Uh, welcome to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. We've got a great episode for you. Um, I have Nathan Einschel, a uh, writer for the Busby Babe, here to talk about his series that he's been doing for the Busby Babe, the next manager of Manchester United. He started this back in November, uh, sorry, October, and it's really developed from there. He's gone from Zinedine Zidane, Pochettino, Jardim, Antonio Conte, Massimiliano Allegri, and now he's really delved into the argument between Pochettino and Solskjaer, who are really the two betting favorites at this point. So uh, thanks for tuning in. We've got a great episode for you. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Busby Bay podcast. I'm Colin Dams here with Nathan Einschel. Uh, is that Einschel or Heinschel? How do you pronounce it? Uh, it's, good. it's Heinschel. It's, uh, it's pretty German. All right. Well, we're here with Nathan Heinschel, uh, another writer for the Busby Babe, who's been working on a next manager of Manchester United series. And uh, it's gotten pretty interesting, especially now that uh, we've finally moved on from Jose Mourinho. And Ollie is at the wheel, eight straight wins, and United are coming off a pretty big win over Arsenal at the Emirates in the FA Cup. So, Nathan, how, uh, how, how did you come to start this series? Was it, um, was it looking at United as a sort of... Uh, in a free fall under Jose Mourinho this season, or was it something you had seen coming before the season began? So uh, taking it all the way back to when we got rid of LVG, I was a little dubious of Jose Mourinho to begin with. I didn't like the idea of us getting the guy who had torn Chelsea apart. Uh, and then six months later, bringing him on to United, which was kind of, you know, in a dicey situation, we were trying to figure out exactly what the roster was going to look like. And we had just watched this super boring uh, LVG attack for the last two years. And so it was like, you know, Mourinho's a proven winner. And my friends were who were a little bit more keen on bringing him in, you know, kind of enticed me to keep an open mind. I was dubious of him. Uh, last year was fun to watch when we finished second. Um, it was disappointing to see a stumble. And that's what allowed City to kind of run away with it. Of course, they were a Death Star last year, too. So yeah, we we were uh, we, for a while. <laughs> it, it looked pretty good to start the year, and uh, then the Jose ball kind of set in. The um, you know sitting back on pretty big games. I think the Liverpool game in particular was really disappointing because we were still in that really good form, and all of a sudden we're sitting back at Anfield and we're under siege for ninety minutes. Yeah, it, it was definitely tough to watch at certain points last season, especially when it was. I really thought we should have gone after it in other games. Um, obviously, in the Champions League last year when we lost to uh, Sevilla, that was just downright, you know, I, I wanted to throw up after that. I was so, like, furious at how we could lose that game. Um, I will admit I was flexing pretty hard in the bar I was at when we came back and beat City last April. Uh, that was pretty exciting. But, yeah. I don't know, going into the summer, I had a weird feel to it. And with it being the World Cup, I knew we were going to have some guys that were going to be tired coming into it. Uh, into the new season and I knew Mourinho was going to grind him down especially a guy like Pogba who after coming off a world cup was not going to take anything from anybody at that point um so it, you could just kind of see it in the summer that something was going to boil over and to be honest this uh, next manager series kind of started after the Tottenham game and I was thoroughly disgusted at the fact that Lucas Mora by himself kind of just took us down uh, and then Jose Mourinho had the gall to come out and say, hey, I got all these trophies. You need to respect me. We should have actually won that game, even though we lost 3 nothing." And while I could 
you know, what his points were at the same time, that's not the moment that you talk about that. Like, you just got to take your licks and say, this is what we're going to do to get better. Don't get defensive when you get blasted three, nothing. Um, and so it was from there, uh, that I'd actually started getting in contact with Brent Maxman, our editor in chief. And that was my first pitch was, Hey, I don't think Mourinho is going to last a season. Uh, and, and I've been looking at betting odds and I think it would be kind of a, a cool idea to look at it through the scope of what, what are the, the people setting the odds? What are, what are they thinking? Uh, who's going to be the next manager and kind of analyzing those picks that were highest on the list. And so that's kind of how the series was born. Yeah. This, uh, going back to what you had said about Jose, it is often frustrating that there is a grain of truth to everything he says, no matter how ridiculous it is. Cause he, he is right. He is, he was one of the most successful managers in Europe, but um, it does seem like it was a bit of a marriage of convenience with Manchester United where we needed somebody big to come in and change things. And he needed an opportunity to, you know, fix his image after that disastrous 2015, 2016 with Chelsea. And um, it, it, yeah. that Tottenham game really just shows the worst of what Manchester United were like under Jose, because we did have chances early on. Um, I think Lukaku probably should have opened the scoring with that horrendous miss that he had. Um, I think Fred had a couple shots on goal that looked pretty good. And then we just totally unraveled at the back. And um, that that is that was kind of the story of the season at the beginning, was the one thing Jose Mourinho was supposed to be good at at Manchester United was fixing the defense. And in his first two years, we looked okay at it, but this year we conceded 30 goals in the first half of the season. Yeah, I mean, you could see it last year, too. Um, even though we finished a with some of the highest defensive numbers in the Premier League, there was still that Arsenal game where they shelled the goal and mm -hmm. David De Gea had to make 15, or 14 saves. And you're just looking at it and just something didn't feel right about that. There, No team should be firing off 14 shots at Manchester United on target. And so while the, the team stood up to it last year, you could see it that this year something was going to give. Uh, and DDG's the god, but he did have some errant mistakes in, in the World Cup. And so he was coming on uh, into the season with a little bit of a shaky form, too. So we couldn't afford to have the back line, you know, break at all. Uh, the most they could do was bend. And, of course, when they did break, that people started pouring it on us. And, it, yeah, it was it was tough to watch in the early part of the season. And some really obvious weaknesses that even smaller teams were, were able to exploit. And, uh, West Ham, who... Now they're looking a little bit better, but at the time they were struggling when we went to, um, I, almost said, I almost said the name of their old stadium. Uh, it's the, what's the name of their new one? The Millennium uh, Arena or something like that? Is it just the London or the Olympic Stadium, I think? Yeah, the London Olympic Stadium, yeah. Um, I mean, when we went in there, West Ham looked like they could be relegated this season, and then they beat us 3-1, and they kind of kick-started a little bit of a survival campaign. Um yeah, uh, sorry, bad memories. <laughs> anyway, no, you're fine. <laughs> so we'll move on to the beginning of the series. The first one you did was Zidane. Am I? That's correct. Yeah, Zinedine Zidane. He was leading the betting odds when I first pitched everything to to Brent. And you know, I've got my group chat with a couple of my Manchester United buddies uh, here in Richmond, Virginia. And uh, you know, we were we were all pretty high on Zidane at that point, uh, just because he's coming off all that success at Real Madrid. And so the idea was like, he could definitely just translate that and walk into Manchester United and turn it into something. So he was number one in the betting odds. And that's why he, 
he led off the series initially. Okay. And um, it, it does seem like it's changed a little bit since then. Zidane's kind of taken on a role at Juventus where he's not really the director of football, but he's involved in the decision-making in the front office of the club. And it kind of looks like he's vying for that job. But uh, I, I guess it'll be interesting to see what they do with Massimiliano Allegri because a, a lot of their success could obviously be contributed to their incredible team-building skills over the past decade. But it, it's hard to fire somebody who's gotten to the Champions League final a couple of times and you know has brought in talents like Paolo Dybala and even Cristiano Ronaldo's come in. and They've, done it, they've dominated the Scudetto for the past decade. Um, the next one you did was, was that Pochettino? Uh, no, the second one I did was uh, a controversial one. I think people thought that I was actually campaigning for this man to take over the job. The second article I wrote was Antonio Conte, That's right. uh, which was absolutely not the case. And if you guys made it to the final paragraph, I said, uh, if we hire this man, we're going to be writing these articles again in about a year and a half or two years. Uh, um, I, I don't think he was going to be a fit at all at United. What is just based on the way our personnel was and the way they didn't gel with Mourinho when things got tough. Uh, Conte is that same kind of personality where he's just going to grind the guys down. So while I respect what he was able to do at Chelsea, switch into the three man back line. And obviously I remember what Chelsea did to us under Antonio Conte when they went on their title run. Uh, I was sitting on a freeway in Germany, just like screaming at the radio. Uh, the so, yeah, the 4-0 game. I, I just remember my phone buzzed because I was still trying to find the game on the, the rental cars radio. And I'm like, they already scored. And then sure enough, they poured it on us. And that, yeah, I was I was not happy in the car on the Autobahn on that one. But yeah, Conte, I think just personality-wise, was never going to fit with us. And so while he carried high odds to potentially be the next manager, he was definitely never anybody I was going to advocate for. Yeah, he's uh, he, he caused some bad times for me as a Man United fan, but I'm not sure I'd want it on the reverse end. Whereas when, when Jose Mourinho came, I was a little bit hopeful because at the point it seemed like it couldn't get worse than you know fluctuating between fourth and sixth place in the Premier League. But obviously that was not the case. Yeah. Um, all right, so... I. I've finally got the page pulled up now. Um, after Zinedine Zidane and Antonio Conte, then you did Mauricio Pochettino, who is now kind of the betting odds favorite alongside Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, I guess talk a little bit about Pochettino's case and how you think it's changed since you first wrote the article. Um, so you can kind of tell from the way I wrote the article initially. Uh, I will admit I'm kind of a Poch guy. I think it's mostly because one of my best friends is a Tottenham fan. And so I, I usually take time out of my day to watch a Tottenham game as long as it's not happening in the same time as a Manchester United game. Because uh, I, I like to support my buddy's team as well. I, I like a lot of the players on Tottenham. So it's, uh, you know, I've got no problem watching them. They do play attractive football, and I, I find them enjoyable. Uh, right now, obviously, the current form would suggest otherwise. Uh, but I, what I really like was Pochettino's ability to – play effective while not having the budget of a team like Manchester United. And so I think the potential is what had me so excited when I was writing the article. It was the idea of, you know, can you imagine if Pochettino actually had a blank check to build the team that he wanted, mm -hmm. seeing what he's doing 
while Daniel Levy's clutching, you know, clutching his pearls, his purse strings, whatever, whatever phrase you want to use. I mean, Daniel Levy's not letting any money come his way. And the fact that Pochettino is able to consistently have a top four team. Yes, they've had stumbles inside the top four where they probably should have finished higher, finished better in cup competitions. But at the end of the day, they've still been so, so consistent and possibly one of the most consistent teams in the league while Liverpool was building, while City was building, while United was stumbling, while Chelsea was doing whatever Chelsea does, and while Wenger just sat there in fifth place. Um, you know, so there's just something about the consistency of Pochettino keeping his team where he was at that was attractive uh, to the also because we're coming from a lot of fluctuation on our side. Uh, but the talent that he's had uh, at United without spending – all the money has been impressive because it looks as though he's able to build a roster. He's not afraid to bring on young guys as evidenced. I mean, to a certain degree, it's by necessity, but guys like Harry Winks and Kyle Walker Peters, like he doesn't mind bringing those guys on. He's not going to play a guy who's at 70% health over, you know, a 19 year old, just because he doesn't trust the 19 year old. He's going to take the chance, which I like too, because we needed to start incorporating our Academy into the, into the whole first team again. Uh, so that's kind of what's really attracted me to having Pochettino become our next manager was the idea that he would potentially have infinite more money to spend to get the team that he wants. He's willing to incorporate youth players and the system of football that he plays or one, two, one, two diamond, uh, has been incredibly effective, especially when he's got players like Harry Kane and Son and Erickson and, United has a kind of caliber of talent already as well. We maybe don't have a striker as accomplished as Harry Kane, but we certainly have a striker right now that is flashing the potential of us like Harry Kane. I mean, Rashford's in excellent form. And then we've got great wingers. Uh, I would put Martial right up next to Sonaldo any day. Uh, and then Paul Pogba, when he's motivated, can play a ball just like Christian Eriksen can. So it was one of those things where, Pochettino would come in, fix a defense, and I think everything would have been gravy. But, of course, the one thing nobody ever saw coming was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, that, uh, that definitely threw a uh, – he definitely announced his candidacy with full effect in the, his first few games at Manchester United. Um, it is very interesting with Tottenham, though, that he's been able to operate on the budget that he has been because normally it seems that Tottenham – only gets a budget when they sell one of their big players. So when Luka Modric and Gareth Bale sold, were sold to Real Madrid, it seemed like for the next three or four years, that was their transfer budget, was the income from that. Um, and th they ended up getting some decent players out of it. They got Lamella, who's still in the squad, and of course Christian Eriksen, who's arguably one of the best midfielders in the Premier League at the moment. Um, and, and Mauricio Pochettino has definitely made a name for himself just by doing with what has been given to him rather than being able to go out and get whatever he needs. Uh, and I think that's evident at the clubs he was at before Tottenham too, especially uh, Southampton. Uh, I mean, all those players that he had were end up at, wound up at Liverpool, I believe. But um, it, it, that was definitely uh, – Mauricio Pochettino is definitely a man who's earned his way to where he is right now. Oh, no question. So next on the list is uh, – a couple of managers who I think people have kind of uh, moved on from since then is Massimiliano Allegri and Leonardo Jardim. Um, I believe when 
this came out, was Jardim still the manager at Monaco or had, had he been sacked by that point? At that point, Jardim had been sacked. Uh, <laughs> and so we know how that saga has gone over. Uh, he is now the manager of Monaco again. Um, and maybe one of the weirdest stories I've read in a long time oh, that they would sack a guy in October is Thierry Henry and then bring him back. Yeah, they officially uh, um, they suspended Thierry Henry's managerial duties and they're bringing back on Leonardo Jardim. Wow. What a so, yeah, it, it's I guess. You know, some people are able to get back together with their ex and make it work, but uh, uh, I don't know. They're they're 19, 19th right now in Ligue they're not scoring goals anywhere. Uh, their team was absolutely pillaged by Paris Saint-Germain and every other which place, you know, that saw any kind of talent on that team. Uh, we're a long way now from that Champions League squad. And I mentioned that in the piece, too, because the talent that Jardim had on that Monaco squad was it, it was mouthwatering. Mm-hmm. It, it, they were unbelievable that year. That's definitely in defense of what happened to Monaco under Jardim this season. Because it, it's really out of your control when your team sells your your best striker who's come out of the academy and wowed the world and then gone to the World Cup and done his thing. Um, I think he, he's only got Radamel Falcao now at this point. Uh, they also said Bakayoko is gone. Uh, Bernardo Silva's gone to City, obviously. Um, just, oh, Fabinho. Yeah, well. Fabinho. Yep, Fabinho at Liverpool. Mbappe at PSG. Uh, Mendy's at City. So I mean they lost <laughs> they lost everybody yeah. that made that team click. Yeah, very unfortunate situation going on. But uh, they they signed Cesc Fabregas, so maybe he's still got something in him. He can link up with Falcao. <laughs> um, Possibly. Yeah, and then uh, Massimiliano Allegri was the other one. Um, obviously, he's done a terrific job at Juventus. Um, I think he's kind of got the same questions around him as Zidane did with. Where, would he be able to do this at a new club that has struggled a little bit to f- find its form again? Um, what what did you see in Massimiliano Allegri when you did his uh, profile? Um, I think the first thing that sticks out to me for Allegri, the situation comparing him to Zidane has some similarities, but I think there's a little bit of some differences too uh, that makes him appealing. The idea that Conte already had the team humming when he left and then Allegri came in. But Juventus was playing a three-man back line at that point. And Allegri came in and switched it over, uh, turned it into a four-man back line. So he switched up the tactics, and it doesn't seem like they've missed a beat. I mean, last year, Napoli gave him a run. But for the most part, Juventus, is they've not stuttered. And obviously, they're going for their eighth straight skidetto right now, which is unbelievable. I, I would argue the Serie A is a lot more uh, competitive than Ligue 1, but they've managed to beat, beat that league in a submission where they're doing what PSG does every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, but with all that attacking talent, too, comes a lot of personalities. Uh, he's got several World Cup winners on that team now. Uh, Blaise Matuidi, the newest one. Uh, and so there's a lot of personalities he has to manage on that team as well. And you can tell I we have have more insights on Allegri because he has the show on Netflix, First Team Juventus, where you can kind of tell that his first focus is win in the domestic league, carry that success over into Europe. And so what they're going to do is they are going to win through good defense and smart attacking play using uh, Mandzukic as an inverted winger. Uh, um, currently this year they have a cheat code named Cristiano Ronaldo, which always helps. Uh, yeah. But even 
before. I mean, Mandzukic was a beast for him the, the last couple of years. Paulo Dybala, obviously one of the you know most important attacking talents that we've got under age 26. Yeah, I think he's 26 still. Uh, um, like they just that roster is stacked, but the tactics have been such that they don't seem to slow down when they're going up against even the top competition of Serie A. And they've been able to win the Supercoppa Italiana while also winning the Scudetto and still making it deep runs into the Champions League. So if you're a glass half-empty guy, you'll say, well, hey, Allegri keeps losing in the Champions League final to Real Madrid. Um, you know, how's that acceptable? And a glass half-full guy would be like, he lost because Ronaldo scored ridiculous goals. Um like Ronaldo had no business hitting that bicycle kick that he hit. No, that was uh, and what are, he, he did them dirty. Yeah, and and then what are the chances that Gigi Buffon would get a red card? I don't think anybody would have bet that he was going to chest up the referee because the referee made that call. Um, and you could tell just frustrations were bowling over there. But I think uh, his man management style of being able to keep that collection of personalities together. And you could, it seemed at the very least, I know it's PR driven, but at least looking at first team Juventus, you know, it seemed like things were running smoothly over there. The guys like each other, they play well together, they want to build each other up. And that's obviously something that you want to see come to Old Trafford as well. So I think Allegri's odds to come to United would be a little bit larger. Right now he's 16 to 1 because what would get him fired at Juventus is probably not something that we want. Um, that he continuously loses the big competition. Uh, certainly this year, if he can't win Champions League while having Cristiano Ronaldo on his team, uh, it would give someone cause for pause on that one. The other thing, too, is I don't think he would be fired because right now, that I mean, they're humming along. It, it would take a, a serious implosion at this point to make Allegri a free agent in the uh, managerial market. Yeah, I definitely don't see them slipping in Serie A at the moment. It, not just because their form has been terrific. I'm not. I'm not sure they've lost a game yet in Serie A, but also the you know, Napoli isn't the same force that they were last year. It seems like they've struggled a little bit, and the gap has really just opened up this year. Whereas last year, the pressure really was on them uh, going into the last few weeks of the season, and it, it took a last-minute winner against Napoli to really create the space that they needed to feel comfortable going into the final games. And um, yeah, in the Champions League, of course, now they have the X factor that was always there. <laughs> what kept them from the Champions League was Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I, I think you, I think you can cut him some slack in his Champions League final losses because one of them was to FC Barcelona in arguably, you know, one of the most incredible seasons in FC Barcelona's history. It was the first MSN season. Uh, Messi was, you know, carrying the team through in their difficult moments. They he had that incredible performance against Bayern Munich where he uh, went up against Jerome Boateng and Manuel Neuer, arguably the best defender and goalkeeper in the world at that point, um, and totally did Jerome Boateng and then chipped Manuel Neuer. <laughs> I mean, the confidence in that team was sky high going into the Juventus final. And then, of course, when they played Real Madrid in the middle of their uh, three, three-year winning run in the Champions League where they won three back-to-back titles. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that that Real Madrid team was an absolute buzzsaw. Um, the the amount of world class talent on that team, and it, it was almost a redundant paragraph to write. But it's like Juventus 
had to go up against Cristiano Ronaldo, Luka Modric, Tony Cruz, Marcelo, Isco, uh, I mean, Kaylor Navas, uh, who is a very competent goalkeeper. I know they've got Courtois over the summer, but Navas was very, very good as well. And then your back line is Marcelo, Rafael Varane, Sergio Ramos, and then Danny Carvajal. I mean, I just named, I think everybody but Navas has definitely played in the World Cup. I'm sure, um, I don't believe Costa Rica's made it with Navas, but obviously he's a great goalkeeper as well. And now you got their, Courtois. Uh, I think he was part of their 2014 run where they won a couple like penalty shootouts and kind of got through to the quarterfinals somehow. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, right there you've got, I mean, it's all world-class talent. Uh, probably some of it's definitely in the midfield, probably the best of all the midfielders in the world. Um, so, and then you've got the, depending on who you ask, the best player in the world that you had to go up against so I'm not going to necessarily fault him for losing to Real Madrid in the same way I wouldn't fault you know somebody for losing in the finals of the Golden State Warriors I mean that's that's what's supposed to happen yeah I'm a Cleveland fan thanks for bringing that up <laughs> it's all right buddy It'll be all right yeah we'll be fine at 10 and 40 for the next year or so um and then after that, it seems, is kind of when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came into the mix because that was the last article that was a profile, I believe, until December. And that's when things started happening. You know, Edward Ward finally got off his butt, got out of his chair, and fired Jose Mourinho. Um, he actually went to Carrington to do that, too. <laughs> and then it, uh, you did a profile of Pochettino and Solskjaer as the kind of two-horse race in this. How do you? How what were you? What was your initial impression of Ali Solskjaer when he was named caretaker manager? Uh, well, rewinding it back to I, after we beat Juventus in the Champions League, uh, I was convinced that Mourinho wasn't going away. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things where he's just the boogeyman. He's not. He's not going to get fired because he's just every time it's at its most dire, he's going to pick up that one win that he had no business getting. Uh, and he's just, he was going to just limp along until the end of the season when finally we just said six place is not enough. Like, please get out of here. Um, but mercifully, he was finally, <laughs> finally fired by Ed Woodward. And, uh, I, to be honest with you, Solskjaer was not a name that I anticipated seeing. I, <laughs> that was, it was my day off that day too. So I was sleeping in and I woke up to like a million text messages and all these alerts. And it was like Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer pegged to be the caretaker manager. And we were all expecting to, you know, hear that Michael Carrick was going to be the guy that probably took over as caretaker to the end of the season or that we were going to put the full court press on Zinedon Zidane. Because uh, realistically, I don't think we would have got Pochettino in the middle of the season. Um, so I had to do a brief, you know, Manchester United history refresher i was like all right you know i like Solskjaer, great personality at the very least the players are going to respond to him because he's not Mourinho. and so i went into it with a open mind i was excited to see what the team was going to do with that managerial bump and uh yeah the first impression hasn't gone away because we just keep winning it is a little bit interesting for kind of our generation of Man United fans because we only really got to see the tail end of his career. I think the only season where I got to see him play multiple games was 2006-2007 when he came back from his knee injury that kept him out for pretty much I think three seasons at that point he was out. 
So for people who were, you know, old enough to remember the 1990s, uh, Ali Solskjaer was, you know, the super sub. He was the guy who won the Champions League for them. He was he was a hero, and now he's kind of come back and saved it. But uh, it, it's interesting seeing it from our perspective where, you know, our only exposure to Solskjaer is either when he was older or through YouTube and season review DVDs. Yeah, and uh, to put my tinfoil hat on, a uh, little bit, I, I just wonder if there's a little conspiracy that was going on. Uh, it doesn't seem coincidental that within a month and a half, two months of Solskjaer being named caretaker manager, uh, Manchester United's YouTube channel had put up a 30-minute video of every single goal that Solskjaer scored. So I almost wonder if even as soon as after that Tottenham game, you, you know, Sir Alex was hitting up Woodward or the Glazers or somebody saying, hey, um, you got to get rid of this guy. Solskjaer is my man. Uh, I know he's going to do well. Let's let's start, like, putting the uh, the subconscious uh, marketing efforts out to, like, get people re, you know, re-recognizing Solskjaer and then let the old heads know, like, hey, bring it back. So it's a great video if you haven't watched it. Please take 30 minutes out of your day. It, it, it's wonderful. Yeah, he's uh, he, he scored a lot of wonderful wonderful goals for the club. A lot of really important ones too. Um, and, and what's what really stuck out to me about his statistics as a Man United player were in the 120 goals that he scored for the club. Something like 30 of them came from off the bench. Uh, I mean, that really does reinforce that super sub uh, reputation that he had to, to score 30 goals in his Man United career coming off coming on as a second half substitute. Yeah, and we'll get into it later uh, with my thoughts of Arsenal, but I, w- with our current attacking situation, I think that, that's another reason why a good pick to at least caretake the club this year as we're kind of in transition with some of our attackers and who I'd like to see maybe become a super sub as opposed to okay. But Well, uh, I, I, we can go into Arsenal a little bit now. I think we've kind of covered everyone. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> uh, no, definitely not. That was that was only there for a joke. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was looking at the comments and somebody said, you know, I, I'm actually okay with Brendan Rodgers. You know, he won the league. He's won. He had that undefeated season at Celtic in every competition, but the Champions League. I think that's really, you know, an accomplishment that's looked over. And somebody flagged it <laughs> when I when I was going through <laughs> looking at the comments to see if anyone had said anything bad. Uh, they flagged it and said, I'm going to have to report you for this. Yeah, uh, offensive content. I don't <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah. All right, so we're on this amazing run now. Eight wins straight under Solskjaer. Ollie's at the wheel. The stone roses blaring through the stadium. And we go into the Emirates, and it, we don't play our best game, but we still just dominate this Arsenal team under Unai Emery, who... When they started the season, there were articles coming out saying, hey, Man United, Arsenal just showed you how to replace a legend. And now Arsenal are in midseason form. They're doing their league free fall that they always do. And we've caught up to them. I mean, we, did, we didn't just beat them in the FA Cup, but we're putting the pressure on them now in the Premier League where we were quite a few points behind them. They had a sizable lead on us, and we're now level on, them, on points with them. And they're only ahead by, I think, two or three goals in goal difference. Yeah, and that's why I was so excited about the Arsenal game, despite it being FA Cup. I mean, the FA Cup games now, these are proxy battles for what's going to happen in the rest of the uh, the spring for the Premier League, especially now that we've drawn Chelsea for 
the fifth round, it, it's one of those things like, hey, this is what we're about to do to you in the league, too. So get re- get ready for it. You know, the Ollie train's coming. Um, but, yeah, I mean, coming into the Arsenal game, super excited because at that point we were humming. We had beaten Tottenham uh, in the league. And so it, the exciting part was the the next team that's ahead of us in the in the actual table, what are we going to do against them? And they had just played that dominating game against Chelsea, too. So it, it seemed like you had two informed teams uh, that were about to go head-to-head, and the fact that United just blitzed them was unbelievable. And uh, I think playing Alexis and Lukaku uh, in starting roles, I think that was huge for team chemistry because the last thing you wanted to do was have them kind of sit by the wayside and let them continue to sulk. Um, and they showed it. Like, they got out on the field and they played really, really well. Uh, in their first real minutes under Ole. And so that's exciting to see too, as we are still in three cup competitions or three competitions, uh, trying to finish top four, trying to go far in the champions league, uh, and the FA cup. We're going to need all hands on deck, except for Marilyn Fellaini, who's apparently going to China, which super cool with, I'm still not over that Everton, uh, red card, uh, penalty that he gave up. Um, I'm a a bit of a Fellaini defender, but we'll keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that, that's another podcast. Um, what was disconcerting, despite as much fun as I had hooting and hollering every time we scored and how we you're just killing them on the counterattack, that Obama-Yang goal should have never happened. And it still highlighted a deficiency that we're going to have for the rest of the season because uh, I don't think Woodward is going to bring in any additional transfers uh I don't think Woodward should bring in any additional transfers until we get that director of football that we've always been screaming for. Um, but it's one of those things where that ball just kind of lazily is rolling across the goal mouth and Obama Yang's able to just, you know, tap it in. And it, that's, that's a play that can't happen. And we're going to have to continue working to tighten up that defense and stay healthy. Uh, the nice thing is Lindelof is proving all of a sudden to be a really, really good center back. And the player that Mourinho thought he was buying, um, the irony is that these Mourinho signings are really stepping up now that he's gone. Um, it it but, is nice to see that trend continue, though, because some of the players that Moyes purchased, I mean, Juan Mata and Mauro and Fellaini, uh, they both looked like they could potentially be busts after the 13-14 season. And then under Van Gaal and Mourinho, they played pretty well. Um, and then Louis Van Gaal's transfers that ended up working out under Mourinho. I'm, I'm hoping that yeah, people will look past just the person who bought these players and will realize that they do have something to offer. I think Ander Herrera has been one of our most important players in this period of, you know, fluctuation between fourth and sixth in the Premier League. And the, the last three years have been really difficult for some of these players, but they've, they've stuck with it. And I think they've produced some pretty memorable moments for us. No question. I mean, Martial was one of the biggest signings that we had. Mm-hmm. And he's only ever had flashes where he was showing off of, hey, I'm the next assassin player that you guys got on the attacking front line. And, and Mourinho just sat there and stripped his confidence away. Uh, the style of football we played under LVG sometimes helped out Martial where he could like blow up and then he'd have a couple games where he'd kind of be a little quiet. And so the exciting part about having like a Martial flourish under Solskjaer is a Solskjaer unlocked consistency at Martial's game. I mean, he'll be one of the best wingers in all of world football. I, I 
I truly believe that he's my first United jersey I ever bought, and I'm really excited to see what he does under Ollie for the rest of this season. Yeah, I, uh, uh, but I think, uh, yep. I, I really think that Martial and Rashford's partnership is something that has United fans. They've it's had us hoping for the future since they first played together when Marcus Rashford broke onto the scene in 2016. But now that they have the freedom to play the way they want with Pogba in behind them, and even Jesse Lingard kind of playing as that false nine, it's it's just so gratifying watching the production that all these players are producing on the front end and just feeling vindicated knowing that we were right in all those years with Jose Mourinho and Louis van Gaal that if we could just do this this would happen and it feels like now that's finally coming to fruition yeah and I, I wondered aloud over the weekend uh does Manchester United and we can put this up to a poll for we want to does Manchester United have the best under 23 attacking duo right now because Martial and Rashford look unstoppable, mm-hmm. and between them, they might be two of, you know, the most promising uh, attacking players in all of the world. I mean, obviously Mbappe is probably going to overtake them, but Neymar is a little bit older, and Neymar is also hurt. Let's not forget as we go talk about PSG and the UCL later. Um, it's I I think they could be one of the best attacking duos in in world football right now. Yeah, and Martial also kind of needed a goal. Um, he hadn't really scored since Cardiff until he scored against Arsenal, so I, I was glad to see him get on the score sheet, but I think that doesn't really tell the whole story because he has been playing well since he came back. Um, and it, it's it, even, uh, I looked to Alexis Sanchez when uh, Jose was sacked and Ollie came in. Was, there was just this immediate excitement from the attacking players that, okay, we're finally going to be able to do something. And Alexis Sanchez got on a plane and came back from Chile. At that point, it looked like his United career was done, and he was going to, quote-unquote, rehab from injury at home. And then he's immediately on a plane coming back to the Carrington training training ground to get in with the team again. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the Ollie effect right there, because as we know how the equator works, Chile, south of the equator, he was enjoying the summer. Uh, and he got on a plane and flew back to England, where I'm sure it's not so nice right now, especially consi- uh, compared to Chile. So it <laughs> he was he was ready to go after Mourinho left. Yeah, uh, I'd right. say that the uh, the big moment though out of that whole Arsenal game, if I was to pick one moment that really sealed it, um, and what's got everybody all hot and bothered uh, over Ale now, and I think the reason why he's leading all of our polls as far as becoming the next permanent manager is Mourinho would have never made that sub with a lead to bring on Martial and Rashford in this, uh, uh, was it like the 65th minute? Uh, bringing them both on as a double substitution with a 2-1 lead, Mourinho would have never done that. And that's something that we were used to, that, hey, we've got a 2-1 lead, and that's unacceptable. We need to have a 3-1 lead. We need to have a 4-1 lead. You know, we need to blow this team out because this is our direct rival. And bringing those guys on, and the effect was immediate. I know Arsenal's back line was already battered uh, for, with injury, but <laughs> the moment Martial and Rashford came on, they had no chance. That, the pace up top was just too much. And I think it you know, it shows that Ali believes in his young players. Uh, it p- proves that he wants to attack the games at all times. And you know, it's going to prove to the players that Ali wants to win everything. And I think that belief is one of the most important things that you can have in a squad. Yeah, I think he's he's definitely a student of Sir Alex in that regard. Where uh, you know, if we if he sees the opportunity that we we can batter a team, let's go for it. You know, if 
we open the floodgates against Arsenal, yeah, let's go for five in the second half. Let's just go for it. <laughs> let's let's uh, go forward with everything we've got and you know kick them while they're down because that's how you win the Premier League. That's how you win trophies, uh, especially with the attacking yeah, talent that you have. If you don't keep their confidence up throughout the ninety minutes, the, they're not gonna they're not gonna follow you into battle. They're not gonna think that uh, he's got my best interests in mind because if you're if you're an attacker and you're you're like like Romelu Lukaku. If you spend thirty to forty minutes of the game defending, then you're you're gonna lose focus. You're not gonna stay in the game in your head where keeping that striker's mentality of getting forward and finding passes. Yeah, and the other thing I think we learned after that game, let's just go ahead and sign Jesse, also known as Messi Lingard, to a lifelong contract. I mean, that kid is a United player through and through. I his perfect timing. He's got that Players Tribute article that comes out that was absolutely masterful. Uh, I mean, if you didn't get a little choked up reading about that and reading about his connection to United and how how big this whole experience has been for him, uh, growing inside the club, having that influence of Sir Alex uh, when he became a young pro. Also, that picture of him when he was playing, I think it was with the U17 team, and they were playing against uh, an Italian team, and like the guys have like full mustaches and they're about two feet taller than Lingard. He's like, yeah, I was 14 in that picture, same age as those guys, and they were uh, towering over me. It, it's the kids got Moxie, man, and he. I'll tell you what, he loves playing at the Emirates, and I can't wait to see what he does at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, he um, he, he's kind of become a special player to Manchester United fans because he not only has that scoring record at the Emirates, but also the. He's somebody who's had to really fight to earn his place. He's not somebody... He kind of reminds me of Gary Neville in a, a regard that he wasn't the most technically gifted player or, or physically gifted player, but he realized that to play for Manchester United, which is what he always wanted to do, he was going to have to put in extra work and he's, he was going to have to grind. And at some point, he would be given his chance. And when he gets that chance, he's going to have to you know, take whatever he's got. Uh, he, yeah, for sure. He's really kind of... I mean, he had that run last year where he was pretty much the only player who could score for us. So he earned the Messi Lingard name. But now it's like he, he's kind of becoming a leader in the locker room because people kind of forget that he's 26, 27 years old. He's not actually as young as he looks. Um, he, he's one of our more experienced players at this point. And I think his friendship with Rashford and his uh, relationship with Pogba from their youth days is really... You know, it's played an important part in himself in him finding himself in this team. Yeah, and he, he's really a symbol of uh, it's what United's known for with like the class of '92. Uh, if you read uh, Sir Alex's uh, autobiography, Leading, uh, he always talks about the reason why the class of '92 was so successful. They all came from working class backgrounds, and they might have not had the same talent that someone coming out of like a Barcelona youth academy would but they were always going to outwork the opposing team. And that's something that Lingard's had to do ever since he was a little kid in the academy. And it, it, it shows when he, when he gets out on the big stage, he's going to outwork you and he's going to score a nice goal. And then he's going to dab on you and you got to deal with that. He's going to Millie rock you to death. Yeah, exactly. All right. I, I do want to get to this manager poll, but uh, I'll say this one more thing about the Lingard article that really stuck out to me was, when he had that uh, meeting with Sir Alex when he was 16, 17, when all of his friends were getting called up to the, the reserve team or the first team, 
and were starting to be given their debuts, and Jesse Lingard was realizing that he was being left out. And Sir Alex sat him down and told him that you have a future at this club, but you're going to have to wait until you're 21, 22, 23 before you're fully developed physically. And that was almost exactly right, because he made his his first Premier League start in 2014, 2015 under Louis van Gaal when he was 22 years old. Uh, that 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 Sir Alex Ferguson just has this foresight, and he, he's I mean to every Manchester United fan, he's this mythical figure. Of, he's like a god to us, but that he's still had that vision and that foresight to you know keep his belief in the young players at his age and realizing at that point that he was probably going to retire too. Um, yeah, that that really stuck out to me in the Players Tribune article. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get to. This poll that you did in the two-horse race article, obviously the two-horse race uh, candidates were the leading ones, but what stuck out to me was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is 64% of the vote as opposed to Mauricio Pochettino's 25% of the vote. Um, I mean, it, just the dramatic shift that a month has on the thought process of Manchester United fans. And everyone else is kind of scattered around. I was disappointed that Michael Carrick didn't get any votes. And Brendan Rodgers got nine votes. I'm sure most of those are joke votes, but, I mean, you, you got to give love to Michael Carrick before you give it to Brendan Rodgers. Oh, no question. I, I don't know which Liverpool fans found my article and t- tried to troll us on the uh, on the voting system, but you failed. Yeah, I'm surprised there weren't more of them. Although there was a, there was a poll yesterday where uh, some Gerard fan account tweeted who's the best English midfielder of all time and there were only two options and both of them were Steven Gerrard but he accidentally ended the poll before anyone had voted on it so it was zero percent for both of them and it looked really really <laughs> yikes his icon card in FIFA is sick though I'll give him that yeah um all right and then Zinedine Zidane is in third place with four percent of the vote uh Lucien Favre uh, with two percent Brendan Rodgers two percent Diego Simeone one percent Blanc, Carrick, uh, 0%. Southgate, 0%. I actually wrote an article during the World Cup that United should look at Southgate. I kind of regret that now, especially seeing the reaction that a lot of people have had to Garrett Southgate. Yeah, I I remember the reason why I wouldn't choose Garrett Southgate is actually because of my friend Cal, who doesn't watch uh, professional soccer. He he really only watches during the World Cup. He played uh, played soccer all of his life, but he just never got into actually watching professionally mm-hmm. and he was watching the England matches in the world cup. And he's like, is it just me or, or is this not like fun to watch? And it, it, that, that kind of summed it up for me. It's they kind of played really ugly. I'm going to win a tournament kind of football. And that's not something that we're used to now that we got Solskjaer for eight games. And I think even if Solskjaer had a huge dip in form and we lost a couple games and it, you know, things looked a little sketchy. I still think at this point we can't go back to something that is unattractive. Mm-hmm. And for the same reason why Diego Simeone, who is one of the most uh, influential and one of the most successful managers currently in the game, uh, I don't think he's got a shot. Uh, even if Atletico Madrid uh, all of a sudden didn't play well and Diego Simeone wanted to get out, I don't think he'd have a shot at this job just based on the perception of we just had Mourinho, like why would we bring in Diego Simeone? So I think part of it is 
philosophy that's also guiding the poll, which is exciting to see. And that's why you see uh, Lucy and Fabre actually have eight votes. Um, Dorman right now is a really fun team to watch if you're not watching the Bundesliga. And while he's super outside shot, uh, I think they're just giving him odds because how well Dortmund's playing. He would give you cause for pause, maybe uh, in a couple of years or so. And I think that's the same thing with Carrick, too. Um, Carrick right now, this wouldn't be a good fit. But Carrick down the line, I think, would be. For the same reason why, you know, Giggs isn't currently our manager. You know, go get some more seasoning yep. is basically what the, the club told him. Uh, I don't think Mourinho told him, told him like that, but I'm sure some other confidants might have said, hey, you know, go take that Welsh job and, you know, kick, kick some butt there and then, throw your hat in the ring in about five or six years. And I think that would be the same case with Michael Carrick because he's, he's been so intricate with the club that if he goes and gets another job, does well there, you know, Carrick's going to be a front runner uh, uh, for the next time that we got to go hire somebody. Yeah, I think the, the, as a player, it definitely seemed like Michael Carrick was a, the kind of guy who could turn into a manager eventually because he's got such a brilliant mind for examining the game as it's happening um but i i'm i'm kind of glad that they went against what i wanted which was michael Carrick to take over as caretaker manager and we got solskjaer um but i am also very glad that solskjaer has kept not only michael carrick but kieran mckenna as well in the mix and then brought back mick Phelan. i think it, just the four of them have really had such an important impact at the club uh, Kieran McKenna was in a difficult position because he was brought in by Mourinho to kind of, you know, influence the attackers and introduce a more attacking style. And it ended up not being the case, even though I think Pogba even was having a pretty good season under Mourinho. Mar- Martial had that scoring streak. You know, there, there were flashes of brilliance from our attacking forwards. They just weren't given the total freedom that they needed to flourish for extended periods of time. And I think now that we have all these minds together, it's kind of, you know, helping their confidence and it's, it's helping them kind of refine their form at the same time, as opposed to just one of them sticking out for a while and then it's switching off to the next. Well, and we're seeing too, not only are the players excited when a great play happens, but you've got the, the assistants that are running over to Solshire to celebrate. And that was not something you saw with Mourinho either. Cause I, I mean, at the very, at best, it looked like there was Stockholm syndrome happening on the touchline uh, with the assistant celebrating with Jose Mourinho. Um, certainly, they were not going to take a punch for him when he tried to start that scuffle at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, uh, they, were, they, were, they weren't sure what was happening, really. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but I'll tell you what, if someone started messing with Ollie, I think, you know, Mike Phelan and Carrick are coming off the top rope. So it, that's just showing you man management extends to your assistants, too, not just your coach or your uh your players and it, it's incredibly important. Yeah, it uh, it, it really is. It, it's showing at the moment the the way everyone at the club is reacting to our success. Um, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on the Busby Bay podcast. We hope to have you back again soon. Um, listeners, check out Nathan's series, uh, the next manager of Manchester United on the BusbyBabe.com, and stay tuned for more updates uh, because, of course, there's still a few months of the season left. Um, you know, this could all go wrong. <laughs> we could lose four straight games and then everyone's calling for Ollie's head. The game moves so fast now, it's hard to tell what happens. But at the moment, Ollie's at the wheel and everything's going fine. Nathan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, pleasure, Colin.